0: Good morning again. Everybody doing all right? How many of you have already had candy today? Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. No, just kidding. (laughs) It's Easter, um, so, you know, that's one of those things, uh, candy. Another thing that you're supposed to do on Easter is to make sure you look good. So I was being especially careful as I was shaving. Evidently, my razor was not participating in this event in a cooperative manner because there's this huge chunk out of my chin now. But since I wore a tie, maybe you won't notice. Oh, man, it's Easter. I am so glad. I'm so glad you're here. When we think of Easter, there are so many things that come to our mind. But I'll bet one of them that does not come to your mind is a man named Isaac Asimov. Did anybody, when I said Easter, just think Isaac Asimov? I didn't either. I totally didn't. But here's something interesting. It has nothing to do with Easter, but it has to do with today. In 1964, this scientist, Isaac Asimov, decided that he wanted to ask a question. And this is what he asked. What will life be like in A.D. 2014, 50 years from now? I don't know, but I can guess. And then he went on to list several predictions. Here are just a few of them that were amazingly correct. He wrote this. You will see as well as hear the person you telephone. The screen will be used not only to see the people you call, but also for studying documents and photographs and reading books. Isn't that amazing? He predicted the smartphone 50 years ago. Let's go on. He also says synchronous satellites hovering in space will make it possible for you to direct dial any spot on Earth. And that's true if you have the right kind of phone. It's pretty amazing. And his predictions about world population, life expectancy, the gap that exists between the rich and the poor, and some other predictions were really close. However, as would happen with each of us, when you think about 50 years in the future, you're you're likely to make a few mistakes as you make those predictions. Listen to some other things he talked about. Remember the phone that he got so right? Here's what he said about that phone as he continues. For that matter, you'll be able to reach someone at the moon colonies. (laughs) Any number of simultaneous conversations between Earth and moon will be handled by modulated laser beams. I didn't get that feature with my iPhone. Maybe it's an Android feature. I don't know. Regarding cars, he said, Jets of compressed air will lift vehicles off the roads, which, among other things, will minimize paving problems. And bridges will be of less importance since cars will be capable of crossing water on their jets. Floating over potholes and creeks? Sign me up for that, you know? That would be awesome. That must be a luxury package that was not included with our car. I don't know. But as Asimov uh, predicted, this is what he said was the most important He said this. The most somber speculation I can make about AD 2014 is that in a society of, listen to this, enforced leisure. Does that sound ironic to you? (laughs) The most glorious single word in the vocabulary will have become, wait for it, work. Isn't that the most glorious word you can think of? Aren't you so tired of our society making us relax so much? Yeah. Now, obviously, in some ways, our lives really are simpler than they were 50 years ago. But we have completely congested and complicated our lives. And the reality is we spend more time working now than we did 50 years ago, and we have less leisure time than we did 50 years ago. I think Isaac Asimov and people from 50 years ago would be shocked. They would be shocked. Shocking. That's the word we've been using to describe that first Easter. The first time when Jesus went to the cross, he was buried and he rose again. We've been talking about what that means. And a couple of you made a few comments such as this, speaking of the eclipse and the confession of the Roman soldier. Those were amazing to that person. Someone else said, what did the average person think and feel during the darkened skies and the ground shaking? Did they realize what was really happening? It would have been amazing. Another person commented about the dreams of Pilate's wife. And if you haven't read that, go back and read that. Really amazing stuff. And today we're going to use Mark chapter 15, continuing on from where we read last week, and we're going to be reading Mark chapter 15, verses 24 through 39. And as we read this, try and find something that jumps out at you, something shocking, and I'll bet you'll be able to find more than one thing. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 24. And they crucified him, meaning Jesus. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down from the cross so we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, "Listen he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a, fun, a sponge with wine vinegar, and put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down," he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The temple of the curtain uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top. To bottom, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. There are many shocking things about that brief story. One of them is that, that the soldiers gambled for the clothing of Jesus. Now that was common among people who were crucified. But this is Jesus. It's shocking. And Jesus has already endured incredible physical pain. Many would have died from the beating that he took. And yet, some people aren't satisfied with that. And they literally heap insult upon injury as they mock and scorn Jesus. It's appalling. And suddenly, the sky turns dark. And that's very disturbing. Have you ever seen the sky suddenly become dark in the middle of the day? It's kind of ominous. And you look up and you wonder, what's going on? During the last three hours that Jesus hung on the cross, the sky is dark. For three hours, all of the sin ever committed penetrates his soul until, as the Bible says, Jesus literally becomes sin. That's staggering. And then Jesus cries out, My God, why have you forsaken me? That's startling, to say the least. And as Jesus hangs on the cross... The temple veil, which is several inches thick, rips from top to bottom. And that's unsettling to the religious leaders. And Jesus says his work is done and he dies. He gives up his spirit. Now this doesn't seem possible. The teacher, the healer is dead. Perhaps the one who saved others really can't save himself. Were the people mocking him correct? Or could there be more to the story? Well, as you know, there is more to the story. In fact, this is why Jesus came. Angels announced at his birth that the Savior was born. And when Jesus was baptized and when he was transfigured, on the mountain the very voice of god the father said this is my son and i am pleased with the mission that he has and earlier in the book of mark the disciples were asked by jesus who do people say that i am they said well elijah or john the baptist or one of the prophets and jesus says what about you who do you say that i am and peter said you are the savior the Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. But as Jesus hangs on the cross, Peter's not there. There are no angels. And even God the Father has turned his face away from Jesus. And therefore, In a shocking declaration, a Roman soldier says, This man surely is the Son of God. Notice what Mark tells us about that soldier. He says, he stood facing Jesus. Don't miss that point. Face-to-face face with Jesus, you see him differently than everyone in the crowd. Are you looking at him? Or are your eyes on something or someone else? Gaze into his eyes. Look at his face. Stand near and try to be unimpressed. Looking at Jesus, you clearly see him as the Savior, the Son of God. This is all tied to a shocking point that we briefly mentioned earlier, but we want to dig into it for just a couple of minutes. It's one of our two main points today. Jesus cries out, My God, why have you turned your back on me? God the Father turns away from God the Son. That seems impossible. In fact, that makes us kind of uncomfortable. Jesus is quoting the words of Psalm 22, the first verse. But he doesn't say the words in the original Hebrew, which Jesus spoke. He says the words in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language of Jesus' home. It was the language his mother used when she said, Jesus, I love you. It was his heart language. And so he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? God, why have you turned your back on me? Many of us have had those words cross our minds, our hearts, maybe our lips. Jesus understands. Like Jesus, you may wonder, God, where are you? At the moment of of Jesus' greatest need, the Father turns away? Why? Why? Remember, Jesus took our sin. Again, Second Corinthians tells us he literally became sin in our place so that we could become the righteousness of God. And at that moment when Jesus became sin, God the Father could not look upon him. He can't be around sin, so he had to turn his face away. And at that moment, that is the most scandalous thing that has ever happened in the history of the world God is divided from God. Simultaneously, the temple curtain is divided. And the one place that no person was ever allowed to enter becomes the one place that every person is allowed to enter. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, children, adults, slaves, free people, all are welcome into the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Why did God have to turn away from Jesus? So he would never have to turn away from me. It's called Good Friday for a reason. It's not called Good Friday because God turned his face away from Jesus. It's called Good Friday because God turned his face toward you. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's why the poem Footprints is so popular. When we look back on our hardest times, we realize God did not abandon us. It was during those times that God picked us up and carried us. Jesus was forsaken, so you would never have to be forsaken. Why? Because of love. Because of love. Wonderful, unconditional, amazing, shocking love. Now, from a physical point of view, the resurrection was successful. The professional soldiers made sure of that. And from a spiritual point of view, the crucifixion was also successful. God made sure of that. However, the payment of sin isn't visible. Forgiveness is not visible. The death of Jesus was very visible. So, how do we know that this forgiveness of sins was successful? Interestingly, there's a great parallel story in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to just read it briefly. Matthew chapter 9 talks about the exact same idea. In Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 2, some people brought to Jesus a man who was paralyzed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my son. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Doesn't this sound familiar? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. (laughs) And the man jumped up and went home. In this story, Jesus announced that a paralyzed man's sins were forgiven, and then he proved it by using power. To heal him. Our story is the same. And it's our second main point for the day. On Friday, Jesus forgave our sins. And on Sunday, Jesus proved it. Amen? (laughs) So now we can jump up and we can go home to God. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that forgives our sin. And that power is shocking and mystifying and wonderful. It's why Easter Sunday should be celebrated every day of our lives. And as you know, the story of Easter deserves to be told and retold. And so let's read briefly from Matthew chapter 28. What happened that Sunday morning so many years ago? Shocking events. Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Again, several shocking things jump out at us. There's a violent earthquake, and Matthew reports that there was also an earthquake during the crucifixion. That's obviously shocking. And an angel appears. And guess what? When an angel appears in the word of God, people are afraid. But he says, don't be afraid. And brings wonderful news, shocking news. Jesus is alive. And then the ladies take off following the instructions of the angels. And guess what? Jesus appears to them. He's risen. It's incredible. On Friday, Jesus forgave us. On Sunday, he proved it was true. Though we were separated from God, the fact that Jesus was separated from God gives us the chance to be reunited. This is a picture of a wonderful young man and his puppy I believe that would have been 45 years ago when I had, well, basically no hair. Same as today. (laughs) This is at my grandparents' house. And uh, that's my dog, Ginger. And I believe that was Easter Sunday. If it wasn't Easter Sunday, the story happened on Easter for sure. And it was me and Ginger. Now, somehow, the dog, Ginger, took off. And... I decided to chase after Ginger. My grandparents' farm is about 80 acres. Nobody knew that Ginger had taken off, and no one knew that little Steve had taken off after her. Ginger crossed the creek. I didn't have the levitating car, so I used the bridge. And at my grandparents' farm, uh, if you go across the creek and hang a left... You go across like a tributary that leads to that creek. And that's what Ginger did. And I followed Ginger that way. But right as that tributary is in that spot, there is a a cliff. It's not real high, but it's about 10 feet with rocks at the bottom. And that's where I went. Fortunately, I wasn't hurt but I was in great danger. I didn't even know it. It's quite possible that we have been chasing after something rather than Jesus. And this thing or person honestly is not as valuable as what God offers to you. And it's quite possible that we're in danger and we don't even realize it. I was lost and in danger and I didn't know it. But fortunately, I was found and I was safe. Today, maybe someone here. You're beginning to recognize that something you've been chasing has taken you away from safety. It's taken you away from God. And you're realizing you need to be reunited. You need to be found. You need to be put in a place of eternal safety. I can't think of a better day than Easter for you to say, God, I need you in my life. I want to give my heart to you. I want to thank you for what Jesus did for me on the cross. As part of what you've asked me to do, I'm willing to be baptized whenever that is, God. If that's right now, okay. If I need to talk about it with somebody, let's do that. But I want to give my heart to you. You can admit that you've wandered off and it's time to come home. As we sing these next songs, particularly as we sing this next song. If you have never given your life to the Lord, why not do that? Nicholas Mulberry did that in the first hour. Didn't know he was coming, but God knew. And we prayed with him and we celebrated as we took his confession. And it was a joy to see him immersed, to be see him baptized. On Easter Sunday, what a great day. If God's calling you, today's a real good day. Today's a real good day. On Friday, Jesus gave you the opportunity to be forgiven. And on Sunday, he proved it could happen. Let's stand and sing and give praise to God.